0: By Patricia Ingler and Ken Ham.
1: And it's almost Christmas. It
0: is almost Christmas. We're past Thanksgiving already. How, com- how come last year's Christmas was just last week? Well, it kind of seems so like that. As we does. get older, those times seem to go it faster
1: and faster. It does. The older you get, time goes faster.
2: My grandma says life is like a roll of toilet paper because as you get towards the end, it like <laughs> goes faster. So That's uh, what it is. It must. you yeah, mean towards lady. the end?
1: Are it's you like
0: talking to me? Time no, dilation. No, no, no. no, I'm
2: just, just <laughs> making a general <laughs> statement.
0: General
1: statement, yeah. So we kind of have an age gradient going on here, don't we? Just That's a little bit. Just a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just remember, the gray hair means wisdom.
0: That's it does. That's biblical. Yeah. Yes. I'm
1: getting a little bit more of that. Not yep. as much as you, though. Yeah. So I had to dye my hair gray so people knew I was getting old. That's, sure. what, that's my excuse. Okay, sure, so you're going to sure. tell them about forensic <laughs> exploration. It's a new explore day event for adults. Sure. At yeah, the absolutely. Museum. One of the
0: great things we have here at the uh, at the Ark Encounter and at the Creation Museum are our explore programs. They're usually for kids, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But all the time, we hear the adults say, "Oh, it'd be so cool to come do ex- these experiments in chemistry and physics and all these fun things that you do." So we finally gave in and we listened to you adults and we're gonna do our first one. The exploration programs are gonna be for adults and the first one's gonna be in forensics. So our program is gonna be set up for you to come as the adults you don't even leave the kids at home you don't have to bring them with you you can find out more about the program by going to the website there creationmuseum.org and look for those exploration now the explore programs are for the kids the exploration are for the adults so you can find out more information there but these are going to be just for the adults so we're gonna give this one the trial run with the forensics and then who knows what else we're gonna do. Maybe they'll come do some chemistry stuff with me. We'll do some combustion lab and we'll go shoot the potato gun or something fun like that. Actually someday. we
1: have a lot of different programs yes. for young people and kids and mm-hmm. science labs and different topics. Yep. All from a biblical worldview. Absolutely. Which you can't get this sort of a range okay. of workshops from biblical worldview anywhere else in the world. We even have a forensic scientist. Yes, Dr. And, Jennifer and Hall- She Rivera. teaches from mm-hmm. biblical worldview. It's fast. Kids just love it. It's so, awesome. So you know, you know, when I do programs for, for kids, I find the adults understand it. Yes. <laughs> That's the it trick well. to teaching adults. You say, when I teach the kids,
0: I tell them and yeah. then they understand it too. That's right, exactly. But we're giving so away our secrets. Now we also have explore <laughs> camps too. Yes. Yeah. So our explore camps are summer programs where kids are gonna come for a five-day camp. Now this year is the first year we're going to be having them both at the Creation Museum and here at the Ark Encounter. So we have our new science lab in this lower level of the Answers Center here where we're doing this program from today. So right across the hall behind us here we have our new science lab that's being uh, finished right now and we're going to be having uh, classes inside there. We've got greenhouses here where we can go and teach kids about botany. We've got the zoo. All kinds of exciting things we can teach there. So come in for a five-day experience, we'll, you'll bring your family and stay in the area. Bring the kids, drop them off for the day camp, and then we'll teach them all kinds of fun and amazing things all through that week. Lots of different topics, lots of different fun
1: things. So Thanksgiving was on Thursday. Yes. Guess what happened straight after Thanksgiving? Christmastown <laughs> Christmas, Christmas town and Christmas time. Yes. Now people Absolutely. need to check the dates. They Need to go to our website to check the dates for these. Uh, because for the first two weeks of December we don't do them uh, every day yeah. and then we wind up to every day until the end of the year. Uh, but these are programs that are free and people can come at five o'clock to come in free except for parking. Mm-hmm. And we have the stunning lights and we have special programs in the Answer Center. Uh, we have uh, live nativity at the Creation Museum and we have some live music there as well. So it, it's phenomenal. Here's just a little glimpse of Christmas Town, which is at the Creation Museum. Spectacular lights, by the way, just absolutely phenomenal. And I did a walkthrough the other night before Thanksgiving, but no one was there, so I could get it on my Facebook. And then uh, Christmas time at the Ark Encounter. And actually, the lights on the Ark change. So the rainbow colors keep coming and changing. You're going to go a long way in America to find anything as stunning as what you see here. I mean, that's just a tiny little. Little glimpse of yeah, there. I love to see yeah. the lights
0: reflected across the pond. It's just beautiful, oh, it's both so here
1: at the Ark and over at the museum. And we've got this big new Christmas tree at the creation museum, too, that's in the front there and has music with the changing lights and yep. just phenomenal. So anyway, want to get on with the articles?
0: All right, so our little fun article today, this is kind of a heartwarming story coming to us out of uh, uh, Montana and Wyoming. It all started when a little girl named Naomi lost her favorite teddy bear last year along a trail in Glacier National Park in Montana. So this young lady was adopted from Ethiopia, and her adoptive family have given her a little teddy bear when they first adopted her, and she took it with her everywhere. It had traveled around the world with her, and she lost it while hiking on a trail in Glacier National Park, and it snowed the next day, and they couldn't get back into the area, and the poor little bear was lost. And they didn't know what to do. They couldn't get back to find it. She was distraught, and they just didn't really know how to find it. But a true bear expert, one of the park's rangers, actually found the teddy bear hiking along and picked it up. He said he couldn't pass it up. He was he couldn't pass up a bear laying along the side of the trail and kept it with him, and uh, he kept it in his truck. And the family posted it on Facebook and through some... Uh, chance meetings of people and somebody seeing it in the Ranger's truck, they actually found it. And very heartwarming little story.
1: You know you know what I got from this story though? What's that? Well you know, you can talk about the teddy bear and she found a teddy bear again and so on because they posted on Facebook. And then I realized the whole point of this story is there is something good that can come out of Facebook. Well sure.
2: Every I once in a while. That's amazing. I just amazing. thought it was really cool that she's a pastor's daughter. So I just thought it was like a neat example of how God cares about the details of mm-hmm. our lives. And even like your kids' teddy bears are meaningful to God. And he can get a bear expert to come along and pick it up and reunite. Like, that's cool. We serve an awesome God. Yep.
1: Yeah. I even bought my wife a teddy bear for Mother's Day once. Does she still have it? Yeah, she does. Oh, that's okay. good. Right. Hopefully yeah. she doesn't take Absolutely. it hiking. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember ever having a teddy bear as a kid. Maybe I did.
2: Was it like a wombat or a kangaroo? Yeah, it could have been something okay, like yeah. that. You Probably a kangaroo. Know. Okay. Not
1: a that's koala bear. F- that's though. why I don't remember. No, they, d- they do not bears. No, no koala bears. koalas. Aren't bears? bears. No. Koalas bears. Aren't bears. Yes. So, you so you would, would never you have a koala, a koala bear. bear. You can't have a teddy koala. They don't qualify as bears. <laughs> 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 it's only a teddy bear, not a teddy koala. Yeah. All right. Let's get on with some interesting <laughs> some stuff. Some
0: depressing news here. So this is an article that's kind of a speculative article, thinking. Forward As we try and understand the culture and trying to examine some of these things, could parents soon need a license to raise their own children? So this author is examining some of the trends and thinking about what's happening in culture and how all these pieces fit together and looking at some of the the way that we see critical race theory popping up inside of school systems and The way parents are being challenged with the curriculum choices that are coming in these different school systems and uh, something i would even add here how religious people are being viewed as extremists in many in many ways and asking the question is there coming a day when our culture would actually demand much like a foster parent has to go through kind of a licensing process to be allowed to care for children, could that happen for biological parents in our culture? Well,
1: you know, people would say, wait a minute, that's, that's extreme, that can't happen now. But remember, you know, with, with things like the Equality Act they're trying to pass in America have been passed in other countries, and they said, oh no, this is just for equality and it's not gonna be used against Christians and they have general wording in there, and, and now it is in various countries. We're gonna actually deal with one here as we go on here. And if you think about what's happening, they, they actually have a paragraph here. What's happening in, in the public schools, for instance, it says, uh, we see schools hiding health information from parents. Uh, we see legislation that allows minors to be taken in for abortions without parental knowledge or consent. Schools are hiding from parents their child's claim to be transgender. Uh, judges have even stripped custody from parents who don't want the minor child, uh, to their minor child to take cross-sex hormones. So you can see it all being set up in that way, that really we we live in a time when the government thinks they own the kids, that they're not owned by the parents.
2: Well, yeah, it's super strategic, If you want to disciple the next generation to make the future however you want it, you have to target the the kids for sure. You know who said that?
1: Hitler. He said, he who owns the youth,
2: owns the future. And Marx as well, that's like he was a, all about the abolition of the family because I actually just have a, a video that just came out I think last week on Answers TV that kind of looks at this issue about how if you want to change a culture you start with the youth. So we need to be doing everything we can to uphold and protect families. So
1: And you think about all the issues that are happening in a culture today, it's an attack on the family. I mean the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions which God ordained in scripture. And it's the unit God uses to, to transmit that spiritual legacy from one generation to the next and impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil knows if you can destroy that and destroy the family, then uh, you capture the coming generations.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so it was interesting. Like, it is a speculative article, but it brought to mind, uh, for me, there's a proverb, I think it's 22.3, that says, uh, the the prudent foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So if we see these trends happening, we need to start thinking ahead. Okay, biblically, how are we going to prepare? How are we going to stay founded on God's word? Um, how are we going to resolve like Daniel did ahead of time? He purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to give in to the king's delicacies and eat that peer pressure, or eat those foods and give in to that peer pressure. So we need to also resolve in our hearts that we're going to stay grounded on God's word and protect the family and uphold those values that are biblical and stand for truth so that when this type of thing happens, we will already have in mind what we're going to do about it, standing with Jesus.
1: And, and you've done a lot of study on this, uh, Patricia, but uh, you mentioned before how Marx, Karl Marx was against the family and wanted to destroy the family. <coughs> Isn't critical race theory, doesn't that come out of Marxism?
2: There is a quote that was uh, in, I think, maybe one of the articles we're going to get to a little later. And if you actually look at some of the things Marx said, it, it sounds very, very similar.
1: To, yeah. a, to critical race theory. Yes. Yeah.
2: And well, so
0: as, as parents and as grandparents and as elders of churches and as those who are leading all of these institutions that God has put in place, it's our responsibility to be training children up in that godly heritage and that godly legacy and making sure we understand those things from that biblical perspective.
2: And we mm. have a lot of awesome resources for that, like the Bible curriculum and yeah. all sorts of critical thinking and apologetics <laughs> curriculum, so <laughs> we're, we're here for you to help.
1: Yeah, Answers Bible Curriculum is our four-year Sunday school program that's apologetics, biblical mm-hmm. authority, chronological, teachers' doctrine, Christian worldview, most Sunday school material out there is shallow fluff and stuff, you know, and uh, we have real meaty material. Yeah. And then we just released our first homeschool version of that uh, to, so that we can raise up generations who have the right foundation and know what they believe and why and equipped with answers. Absolutely. All right, this one hits close to home. Ministry that built life-size
0: Noah's Ark will rebuild the Tower of Babel to glorify God and combat racism. What
1: ministry... They be Sounds
2: about. really cool. Sounds it
1: really close to home. Like well, it's, it's interesting because we sent out a press release recently saying we are going to look at possibly look at the next big exhibit here at the Ark Encounter, mm-hmm. right beside the answer center, we're in the answer center here. Yes. But right beside the answer center, on the other side, uh, you know, as I'm facing you guys, the Ark is to the left. Yep. Right, and the, the to re- to rebuild a replica of the Tower of Babel over here to the right, and actually, it would be you'd have the tower. It'll be unfinished, by the way. So when people say, when do you hope to finish this? It never will be. <laughs> uh, so it'll, it'll be unfinished, but it'll have a big building behind it. And the idea is to have a ride. We've actually been talking to all the engineers who do these rides for Universal and Disney and other places around the world. And you would stop at various places, like this people ride, and you would be taught various aspects of the history from the Bible about the dispersion of... People, you know, from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and the nations, and so on. But here's the interesting thing, Roger, uh, and that is, you know, when we announced we're going to build the ark, we had even Christians saying you shouldn't do that because that was all those people were evil and they were judgment. I by, was following uh, a lot God of those
0: things on social media, on Twitter, and yeah, looking at some of the interesting comments. But <laughs> the goal is not to do what those people did. Our goal. Just like, if we think about the ark, the ark was not built, the, the account of the ark is a is an account of judgment. We didn't build it for that, for that reason. We built it to demonstrate the authenticity of those biblical accounts. And we're trying to do the same thing here. And the goal is to really help teach people about the origin of people groups, of the ethnicities, of how God brought all these people together after they were all together after the flood in defiance of God, and God scattered them out, and that's the result of all, or what we see is the result of all these different ethnic groups all over the world, and
2: they're race. different <laughs> different
1: people groups, not races. Yes, exactly. and to teach against racism. Yeah. Yes, uh, we see difficult. our culture right now, even. Teaching racism. Yeah. That's so what's the goal happening. is to be teaching
0: those things. Our goal is not to build another tower to exalt ourselves. That was the goal of those people, and that's what they were well, judged. Well, okay. For.
1: Here's what I understand. Try and explain this to me, right? <laughs> so we've had probably m- more people, uh, particularly from the church, when we announced this. Uh, say to us, you should not be building the Tower of Babel. That that it was evil, but the tower itself wasn't evil, wasn't it? The people's hearts. It
0: was the hearts, and yeah. God was judging the motives of the hearts of the people. The tower itself is a building, and we're we're building this building with the goal to help teach people this this very important idea. Just as we were all created in Adam, we all inherit Adam's sin. We're all descendants of Adam down through Noah, down through all of those people, descended through Noah. All of the people on earth are through that line of Noah. We all come out through these different people groups. We're all one race. All of that leads us to the fact that we've all sinned in Adam and leads us to, as Paul describes it, we're all one blood. We see that in the book of Acts in his description there in Acts seventeen twenty six, And as a result of that, we all need one savior. Just as there was the first man, Adam, we need the last Adam,
1: Jesus Christ, as our savior. Yeah, and so and
0: that's the core of the message. gospel th- orientation, message. The message of salvation mm. will come through.
1: But here's what, what I don't understand, right? Pe- we've had people call us up, call up our guest service or customer service people on the phones and yell at them over this and say, we should not be doing this. But, but the Bible describes the actual event. What's the difference between describing the event in print and us putting it in a three dimensional model. I mean, you know, we, we've reconstructed the ark, yeah. right? Have replicated the ark. It's interesting, you know, over the years, uh, I had a lady once call me up and she was really angry at us because we published a book, kid's book, this is years and years ago, and it was all in colour. And she says, um, you, you shouldn't do that because the devil uses colour. And I, I just wrote back to her and said, God invented color. God invented color. Uh, we so can't let the devil yeah, steal those but things. Yeah. But if you, th- if you think about it in regard to um, the Tower Bible, th- what about, I've had people say to us, um, you know, you can have children's books sometimes and they show a man uh, representing Jesus, right? And they say, well, that's against the Bible because the Bible says shouldn't make a graven image and, you know, God is spirit. But he became a man. He became a real man, the God-man, so, why can't you represent him as a man? Because he was a real man. The interesting thing is, I've asked many of those same people so you would not agree then with having a picture of a babe in a manger, right? Because that's when God's Son stepped into history to become Jesus Christ, the God man, yeah. right? So, but the thing is, he is a real man, and, we, and our kids need to understand he was the God man. He became one of us, a member of the human race, and For he sure. remains a God man to be our savior. That's not you know, creating an idol or an image of God or something like that. And then the Tower of Babel, hey, we're we're looking at building a replica of the Tower of Babel uh, to actually teach the historical event as recorded in the Bible. So Mm -hmm. I, I I don't get it why these people are so angry at us. Do you understand? I don't. So let's let's move on to the next one. Okay. <laughs> All right. I've little
0: say. Trust that we'll be able to communicate right. the gospel clearly through yes. that through that next exhibit. All right. Humans hastened the extinction of woolly mammoth. Now this comes as uh, research have has been done on different sites where we've uh, examined some new discoveries of woolly mammoth uh, remains in Eurasia and trying to look at how. Uh, different climates and different human in fa- influences have factored into the demise of woolly mammoths and for the last number of years as climate change has, has really been popularized as this um, evil boogeyman and people have said well it was climate change that led to all these extinctions especially of the woolly mammoth and other things and this set of research has examined those things a little bit more carefully and they've come to a different conclusion they say we know that humans exploited woolly mammoths for meat, skin, bones, and ivory. However, until now, it's been difficult to disentangle the exact roles that the climate warming and human hunting had on its extinction. And their ultimate conclusion is that it wasn't just climate change, but all of those factors working together with humans hunting them and other things that led to their extinction over tens of thousands of years. Now, we would basically agree with... The process they're describing, but we'd have to compress their time scale by quite a bit as we look at uh, how it lays into the ice
1: age timing. Yes, and and the ice age is a post flood event, and probably it, you know, the flood generated an ice age within hundreds of years of uh, the flood, Mm -hmm. and then the ice age started to recede, and that's all associated with mammoths being. Frozen and fossilized, and so on. So. People spreading yeah. out from yeah. After, after, yeah, that. and then <laughs> people killing factors. them, yeah,
2: yeah. And I mean, their their timing. They were actually surprised that it happened later than they thought it did. So it does kind of fit the biblical timescale better in that sense. Um, the other thing that kind of struck me about this was they're coming from the premise, which we often see in culture. We kind of take it for granted that we don't want to exploit endangered species, and it's it's not great to overhunt them and all that kind of thing. But uh, where does where do those values come from within an evolutionary worldview? They don't exist, actually. It's the survival of the fittest, and we should only care about other species to the extent that they can benefit us. Really, within an evolutionary framework, but the Bible actually does give us a foundation for wanting to be good stewards of creation because we're given dominion over it to take care of it.
1: Yeah, that's what, yeah, you, preacher, you bring uh, up a really good point there because from an evolutionary perspective, why should we stop man killing animals? I mean. Maybe that's another selection pressure, and that's important for evolution. Kill out everything else, and we might evolve into something better. I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, why should they stop any of this? Yeah, yeah. Right. If man is an evolved animal, then why shouldn't man do what he wants to do? Yeah, but if I, if I look at this
0: from a biblical perspective, one of the conclusions they come to, they say it shows that the species extinctions are actually the result of complex interactions between threatening processes. And that's exactly what I would expect, because God's creation involves many intricate interactions between all kinds of different factors, including the climate and time and and all these different interactions between species and their environments and humans. And so that is what we would expect. And we wouldn't expect some simple answer, because God's creation is amazingly
1: complex. And it is complex, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: This one takes us down uh, the, the trail of human history from the evolutionary perspective. Try, try and try again. Why did modern humans take so long to settle in Europe? Now this is based on that evolutionary model of out of Africa. So humans migrated out of Africa and then different groups developed and
1: settled in different places over time. Uh, let, let me stop you there for a moment, okay. So from a biblical perspective, the ark didn't land in Africa.
0: Absolutely not, no, in it the mountains in the Middle rats, East. in the Middle East. Yeah. So
1: civilization began in the Middle East after yes. the Flood. Mm-hmm. So they, they're they trying to explain human civilization in Europe coming out of Africa because of evolution. So they've got the wrong starting point. Right, right so, so I might as well throw the whole article away. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's just move on, the on then. What's the point <laughs> of reading it?
0: Well, we're trying, to, we're trying to frame these things and understand how they're thinking, look at their wrong thinking, and and how we can understand this from the biblical perspective. So what these what these authors are doing is looking at the group they call Neanderthals. Uh, I assume they didn't spell this out in the article, but I assume they look at this as the, a distinct species, Homo neanderthalensis, as opposed to Homo sapiens. And they're saying modern humans, Homo sapiens, weren't in Europe until um, app after the neanderthals are basically extinct there's some intermixing and interbreeding in those populations but it was much much later than they expected and they're trying to d- find all these details and figure out how all these pieces fit together to understand this history of human
1: evolution so and how this, th- the pieces they're together. they're saying that humans came as, as they evolved, came out of Africa, and they evolved different species. Yes. Mm-hmm. From biblical perspective, we're saying as they came off the ark and increased in number, and then the Tower of Babel, and moved away from each other, uh, that certain isolated groups uh, of humans, some of them might might have become Neanderthals. Hey, you know what? Right. And died out. If we out every built
0: time. a Tower of Babel exhibit. Maybe we could explain, we all, could this explain stuff all that and help people understand and this yeah. from the wouldn't biblical get confused perspective by and they wouldn't, wouldn't get like confused this. by the evolutionary yeah, perspective. Exactly. So yes. this this perspective um, mixes the idea of of how humans are these different species over time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it is like interesting how when you start with the right foundation, the biblical one, it makes sense of a lot of the things that we do see about these ancient people groups. For instance, they are people. Um, we see all the the human characteristics of Neanderthals, and we don't try to we don't get lost in these evolutionary assumptions, trying to make them something that they're not, some sort of subhuman species. I think I s- told the story a few weeks ago how when I was in university, I had a professor trying to say that Neanderthals were different species from humans. So I kind of put up my hand because you know you can't challenge directly, but it helps to get people thinking sometimes. So I was like, so if you killed a Neanderthal, would that be murder? Should he be charged with that? And he stopped and he's like. Yeah, I guess I guess you should be because he was willing to concede that they were ethically humans, yeah, and I mean you can see even like in the end of this article they talk about um, the interbreeding, so that shows you that it is the same kind. A lot of us like here would have some Neanderthal DNA in us. So How
1: many times did you put pressure on your professors like oh,
2: that? Oh, it, it, de- <laughs> it depended <laughs> on the class.
1: So, so more than p- once, more than in that class, more
2: than, than, class more than once. <laughs> You got to, yeah. Use, so when we see the, the
0: timing here looking at 40,000 years ago, we can understand that's imaginary time. The biblical time scale puts these things within the last 4,000 years, uh, looking at that after the flood. But all of these pieces, all of these skeletons, all these bones are humans that came out of Babel. All of them are real human individuals. We don't have to wonder about those things because we have a true biblical account that lays all those pieces out for us.
1: No, and the very last sentence says about Neanderthals, although as a species, they still survive in the DNA of men and women today. Ye- Roger, you're probably part Neanderthal. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I
0: am, yeah. That so wasn't I, very nice. And as we think about all of these, these different ideas, uh, the one of the researchers here gives away, uh, kind of tips his hand, the behavior of Homo sapiens was a big factor in our success, I think. Maybe we networked better or accumulated knowledge more effectively and so learned how to extract resources more, more intensively than Neanderthals did. That's all they've got. They have a guess. Maybe I think they but might. But you know not. what?
1: From a biblical perspective, as they moved away from the Tower of Babel, right, and people went to different places. Mm-hmm. Now, if you came with me, if I was there, yeah, we'd live in a cave because I can't <laughs> build anything. I have no idea how to build anything. Yeah. Whereas my brother is a builder. You go with him, he'd build a house. Yeah. Right? Others would use. Stone. Others would find iron and bronze and do that. Sure. Yeah, so different technologies. Developing that's developing that's things, obviously yeah. what happened
0: mm-hmm. uh, sure. over time. So and then we'd start sharing those technologies yep. and interworking all those things together. Yeah. Absolutely. Very interesting. All right. Moving to uh, Finland. The gospel of Christ is at stake. Finnish bishop facing prosecution over Christian values. Now, I'm not going to try to pronounce this <laughs> bishop's name. We'll call him Bishop P for the sake of. Uh, for not butchering his name but this bishop in Finland has been distributing literature that basically lays out a biblical definition of marriage and sexuality and for that disseminating this information he's been labeled in his country and uh, another Minister of Parliament there in his country has been labeled as basically an extremist and going against the country's views and have been prosecuted for that and put on trial, and they're facing this prosecution because they're basically reading the Bible and saying that the Bible's sexual ethic and moral ethic is the one that we should be following.
1: Now, many people might have heard of the Alliance Defending Freedom mm-hmm. a group of Christian attorneys in America. He was actually uh, giving a presentation to them. There are a number of Christian attorney groups like Liberty Council, First Liberty, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, and basically what he is doing is warning them Here's what's going to happen in America. You know with the so-called Equality Act that they've been trying to get through uh, and get passed? If that gets passed, that'll do exactly what is happening here uh, in Finland with uh, this particular person. Because they talk about, you know, you can't discriminate, and they use words like defamation or something, But the terms are always general. And they say, oh, no, it'll never be used against Christians. Yes, it'll be used against Christians. It is in this country. And we've seen what's happened with uh, legislation in regard to LGBTQ and so It's all being used not just for freedom for their views, but they want total acceptance. Yeah, and he points out how it's become a secular religion in that sense. Yeah,
2: yeah, he does. And he makes a really interesting connection to uh, blasphemy laws that we see in, say, authoritarian countries, and third world countries. And he talks about uh, the use of blasphemy, apostasy, and anti-conversion laws to force religious minorities. So it's going to be Christians to hide in the shadows. And um, he talks about how to make these laws work, basically. They use broad, ambiguous language and definitions that make it impossible to know precisely what is prohibited, and that opens the door for arbitrary and biased enforcement. So that's unfortunately what I see starting to happen in Canada, even. Mm. We have a bill that was, um, was read. It had its first reading already. I hope it doesn't get passed anytime soon, but it's called Bill C-36, and that's an anti-hate speech law, well, which, of course, you can define. And they've,
1: they've already passed that sort of mm. law in Victoria, in the state of Australia. Mm. and they say that is now one of the most uh, bits of anti-Christian legislation in the Western world. And uh, you can see what's happened here in Finland because the prosecutor general uh, interprets what's going on here in the light of their Equality and Discrimination Act. And keep in mind, they're trying to pass this Equality Act in America. This is exactly what's going to happen.
2: Mm-hmm. And and it is uh, a religion of secular humanism in the sense that we're basically saying that humans are God, human feelings are God, so if you don't affirm someone's feelings, you're basically being a heretic. So that's why he has this connection to blasphemy laws, is basically, um, as Christians, we are going to be blaspheming the religion of secular humanism, which has become mainstream in our culture. So it's kind of funny how these um, groups that tend to want to stand up for minorities <laughs> are not uh, not going to be using that standard with Christians because mm. they only care about tolerance when it has to do with them.
1: And with their worldview.
2: It's, bec- world
0: view. it's yeah. becoming the state-sanctioned
1: religion. Yeah, yep. But you know mm. what? Here, here's something I think is, is great. Uh, this particular pastor, Uh, vowed that despite the legal headwinds and consequences he may may face, he would, quotes, this is what he said, hold on to this truth and publicly teach it no matter what the cost is, not because we want to wage a cultural war in society, but to call people to repentance and through faith in Christ receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many pastors in America would really be willing to stand like that because I suspect a lot of them would say, "Oh." We, we, you know, we'll give in, because we already see that happening in a number of churches mm-hmm. where they're becoming soft on these issues. Yeah. But how many And he has the, he has the gospel as his motive. That's yeah. what's
0: mm-hmm. so commendable. And how mm. many of
1: us are going to stand like that?
2: For sure. Um, and that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with the parental laws, is we need to be anticipating these things and deciding beforehand so then we'll know how to respond.
0: All right, let's try to get through one more article here as we, as we wrap things up. Overlooked DNA may be what separates humans from other primates, the study shows. So you may have heard of the term junk DNA. So as we examine DNA, uh, many scientists determined that most of the DNA that, that we have in our bodies is junk. And 98 percent only
1: two, percent of it, two or three
0: percent of it is really coding for proteins that make up our bodies. So the rest of it is just junk DNA we don't need it. It's kind of evolutionary leftovers. That's how I was trained when I was taught those things in college. And it's become known more and more over the over the decades that that's not the case, and that junk DNA is absolutely essential. And as these uh, these scientists compared the stem cells that form brain tissues in humans and in other primates, they compared those things. They found that the junk DNA is actually another layer of information that's telling those cells how to form the brain tissue that's very distinct in humans and things like chimpanzees and and apes and uh, gorillas and orangutans and those other things. And so there are very, uh, very important factors there inside of that. From their naturalistic viewpoint, they say, I believe that the brain is the key to understanding what it is that makes humans human.
1: But from a biblical perspective, we know there's something else that makes us human. Yeah, unique. we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And there's an immaterial aspect that we can't understand, right? Mm-hmm. Our soul uh, that will live forever. Yeah. And, I mean, God breathed into man uh, to become a living being. He didn't do that with the animals. He and even if we Earth can distinguish the these
0: things physically, that doesn't mean that that's the defining factor between us. You know, there's yeah.
1: one other thing, too. And shows you how evolution, a wrong belief, can cause you to do bad research. Yes. Had you believed that God created us, therefore there must be some design and function here, you might have looked for it and found, wow, look at this, instead of saying, oh, we evolved, this is all just junk left over. For sure, know, so th-
2: that kind of explains, well, why was it overlooked when it says, you know, overlooked DNA, why? It's because it started with the wrong foundation. So if you want to get the right answers, you have to use the right assumptions. And to use the right assumptions, you have to begin with the right, with the right starting point.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for Answers News, and we hope to see you again on Wednesday. God bless.